Well, family, do have your Bibles open there to Luke 16. And I do mean this when I say it's a real joy to be able to come and worship together and open the Scriptures with you. But before we come to the text, let's just, let's just come together and, and, and pray. Lord, we come before you this morning hungry for all that you have for us. Fill us with your word. Write it upon our hearts. Let it guide our steps and lead us in all joy. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Now, if you were listening as that passage was read out, you'll see that there's, there's quite a lot going on here. But, but the context for all this can help us get to the heart of things. If you read Luke's gospel account, you'll see that he has strategically grouped a couple of parables and some teaching together to speak about the faithful use of wealth. <clears throat> and what do, Luke does is, is he, right at the start, he highlights some people in the audience who are described as lovers of money. And in that bit, that's where we get the verse, no one can serve two masters, you cannot serve both God and money. And, and crucially, the teaching that joins these two, it talks about following the law, about following God. So in loving money we <clears throat> sorry in loving money we aren't talked about we're not talking about being wealthy but about a false kind of worship money is seen and pictured here as as a false god as as mammon and so Jesus teaching here goes far beyond a practical suggestion for how we can use wealth to an understanding of how we are to view wealth and orientate our hearts in regard to it. In this church, we have a big demographic, and there, there's a huge spread of wealth and, and income. We have people on, on both ends of the social spectrum. And I just say that because sometimes it's tempting to read passages like this and think they're only relevant to those people over there. But really, this isn't about what's in our bank accounts but what's in our hearts? So you might be here and assume that you can't struggle with this because you don't have enough resources to act like the rich man. But thinking like that misses the point of what Jesus is saying. This parable cuts to our very hearts, regardless of how wealthy or poor we see ourselves, because this is about our worship. Okay, so with that caveat in focus, let's, let's dive into the passage. There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was, a, was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Now, remember that the context that Jesus is setting up here is this, this distinction, this choice between following God and following money. So we should have in our minds already two options and see everything, how everything here points us down these two conflicting paths. So notice how each are described. One man is, is rich, but we don't get his name. And the other is a beggar called Lazarus. Now, Jesus didn't just pick this name at random and, and its significance wouldn't have been lost on the original hearers. Lazarus means God is my help. And since we've got these two options, the rich man is going to be the antithesis of that. 
And so we can say that on one path we see Lazarus relying upon God, living dependent upon him, and the other has the rich man being self-sufficient, living in independence of God. And we kind of see that as well from the descriptions of Lazarus being laid at the gate and the rich man there living in luxury. So Lazarus isn't there on his own accord. He is, he is helpless in this situation. Someone has just laid him there. And in contrast, the rich man has, has chosen to make his, his home there and is busy doing as he desired, able to rely upon himself. The next thing we should see is that the man is dressed in, in purple and, and fine linen. And Lazarus is covered in sores. And this is a contrast that goes beyond the external here. So the fine dress coupled with the impression that he is feasting all the time implies that, that he's going to be richly clean. So he is the presentable, godly man. But Lazarus is covered not in linen, but in sores. And we are told that the dogs, and, and, and don't think nice, cute puppies, think mangy street dogs are licking his sores. And that's going to tell a Jewish audience that this man is ceremonially unclean. And obviously as well, Lazarus is, is poor and just want the scraps from the man's table. It's a pitiful image as it, as it reminds us of the prodigal son who, who wanted to eat the scraps from the pigs. And maybe the rich man as well reminds us of the hard-hearted older son from that parable as well, living as the world sees fit, but not viewing his brother with compassion. Maybe not doing anything technically wrong, but, but certainly not living as if his life has been transformed by God's law. So here are the paths laid out before us. Externally, we see one rich and one poor, one strong, one weak, but all the clues are in place to see one reliant upon God and one who is self-reliant, one who can only look up to heaven for help and the other who just doesn't feel the need to look there at all. And so the story progresses. In verse 22, we see both die and, and again there's this contrast where the one who was laid in the ditch is now carried to Abraham's side. And the rich man with no one to carry him is laid down and buried. But even with those clues, verse 23 must have been just shocking to the people. There's, there's no run in here, no trigger warning, just the reality of hell laid bare. And so we get the destination of these two paths that Jesus set up comfort, and agony. Hell isn't a topic that anyone really wants to, to dwell on. You can feel the nervous tension as we read out these passages. It's not something we really want to accept, not something that we naturally align with a loving God, and, and yet it's clearly a reality here that Jesus taught on. He actually addresses it more than he talks about heaven. And, and he pictures it as an absolute reality that is our destination as sinners, our default destination as humans. 
So as uncomfortable as it is, as difficult as it is to comprehend, it's not something that we can just ignore. In fact, if we don't at least accept the reality of hell, then we aren't going to see how great the gospel truly is. Because if you believe that you've just been saved from the effects of poor choices in this life, then we're kind of putting the gospel on par with any old self-help guide. But if what Christ saved us from was hell itself, then it's the most important news that we can get. Think about this. If you're walking down the street and, and someone puts out their arm and, and, and saves you from a car that just splashed or, or a rain of puddles on you, you'd, you'd be pretty grateful. But if that person has stretched out his arm and stopped you getting hit by the car itself, well, then you'd be, you'd be really delighted. Understanding just what Jesus did on the cross, what he saved us from, will impact how grateful we are and affect how we worship him. We not, might not be able to sit comfortably with hell. I, I think we'd probably be a bit emotionally dead if we, were, if we could do that. But we can accept that if we, if we hold fast to the utter certainty of the goodness of God, this is something that is true. We can be able to trust that that when his righteous judgment is revealed on that final day, we will know, as J.I. Packer said, no problems of cosmic unfairness will remain to haunt us. God is the judge, so justice will be done. Coming back to the, the parable and, and setting our discomfort of hell aside for just a second, the, the shock that the original hearers would have heard was that there seems to be a great reversal here. It's, it's not the fact that there is a heaven and there's reward that, that would confuse them or, or upset them. It's, it's the reversal that seems to take place. The one who outwardly appears to be receiving all the blessings that the world has to offer was the one that, that they're going to assume was pleasing to God, was receiving the blessings of the covenant. If you look, Jesus didn't attach any particular sin with the man, and, and he goes out of his way to show that the rich man was part of ethnic Israel. In verse 24, he calls Abraham father, and in reply, Abraham notes that he is a son. So the assumption would have been that, that he is in the covenant by virtue of his birth, and there doesn't seem to be a reason for his exclusion from it. And yet, at the end, he receives condemnation. And similarly, Lazarus has all the markings of someone who, who could have been removed from the covenant. Poverty, physical curses, uncleanness. And yet he receives the fulfillment of the path of life. Now, we have to be a little bit careful here because you could read this like a, a sort of a cosmic balancing act. The rich man had blessings in life and curses after, and Lazarus has the opposite way around but to do that would be to ignore the rest of the Bible. So remember that Jesus is presenting the, the love of money as serving a false God. And that tells us that he's showing the crowd how the things of this world can seduce people from following God wholeheartedly. How the rich man might appear to be living the good life, but in fact, he is serving a false God. And in case you're in any doubt that false God is still very prevalent 
in our day and age. It even infiltrates the church. On the extreme, we have false teachers peddling a vile twisting of the gospel, a sickening perversion called the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. It's those that say that sickness is a sin, or if you just give to their ministry or sow a seed, then everything will get better for you. That God is only going to bless you, and you'll never experience suffering in this life. And let's be clear, that is utter rubbish utterly devastating for our faith. Those people are serving mammon. Prosperity is their real God. But there's a more subtle version that that actually seeps into the mainstream evangelicalism that we need to be wary of. It's that sense that if we just follow the Bible, then everything will be okay. That Jesus' teachings become like self-help guides and and our focus slowly becomes led to to strategies for self-improvement. Where we major on secondary issues of stewardship and, and health to the detriment of repentance and faith. It becomes all about us, emphasizing law over gospel and we get therapeutic deism, external morality and blessings emphasized over the blessed God. We say to people, you should come to church. It'll it'll make you a better person. Come to church, you'll be happier. It'll make you better. You'll be better. But will it? We need to tell people, they need to come to God. They don't need the blessings of this world. They need the blessed one himself. We're all too familiar with with this self-help kind of church in Northern Ireland. Historically, upward mobility has been the hallmark of Protestantism. But if we were true to our desire to see the kingdom spread, more of us would be trying to move into Kilcooley instead of Kiltraw. Our prosperity gospel makes church and faith a way to the goal of the good life that we want rather than the end in itself community is a good thing about coming to church but it's not the best thing don't make it the best thing don't be led astray you'll get loads of benefits from coming here but they are all secondary to the benefit of seeing and knowing and loving our Lord love of money doesn't have to look like having lots of wealth It could be seen not having much at all and then just simply obsessing over it, thinking that if you just had a little more, then everything would be okay, believing that that your way to salvation from all your problems is through just a, a little bit more money. Or if you're a spender and naturally like to use money, then you'll have to guard against allowing your joy to come from those things that you buy. Retail therapy could be more dangerous than you think if it's slowly replacing God as the means for your joy. Or even for savers, and and I'll put myself in that category, um, we have to be careful that that rainy day fund doesn't replace the Lord in where we find our security. That we don't become close-fisted and neglect generosity just in case something happens to us. 
And so you see, Jesus' teaching on the faithful use of money is not so that we act with external morality, but it's to put guardrails around our hearts so that we aren't seduced by this false God. Following what Jesus says on wealth and generosity prevents us from placing our trust there or in finding our joy there, and so allows us to keep ourselves rooted and grounded in Him. When you go home, do this for me. Put your bank card beside your Bible and just ask yourself, which one has more of a draw on your heart? And be honest. Which of these paths are you on? Having God as your help or being self-reliant? Dependence upon God or independence from Him? Finding satisfaction in Christ might not require a change in our spending habits, but it will require a change in our hearts. Because left to ourselves, we, we always go back to the garden to believe the lie that once again and, and try and satisf satisfy ourselves with created things over the Creator. And the reason why this is such a heinous lie is that true satisfaction will only come when we seek it in Christ. Psalm 16 says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. Ecclesiastes says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money. And Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. In Jeremiah, God says, I will satisfy the weary soul. And Jesus says, whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. We were made to find satisfaction in knowing God, to rest in Him, to know peace and contentment and joy in who God is. And the good news is that God has made a way for us to actually experience that, to actually know Him. So we don't need to content ourselves with the, the banal entertainment of this world. We don't need to settle for the, the shiny things that, that everyone runs about trying to hoard like magpies. We have something so much better. Something that's going to give us joy in troubles, peace in the storm, and a hope in the face of all that the world throws at us. And so we need to be earnest in seeking satisfaction in Christ. Not so that we act in a certain way, but so that we can actually experience the abundant life that is on offer, both here and in the life to come. Jesus ends this section on the faithful use of wealth where he is trying to warn us about this false God by affirming the authority of Scripture. That might sound strange, but can you see it in verse 29? They have Moses and the prophets. And then really comically in verse 31, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. The love of money, the, the faithfulness to that false God is so strong that a bit later when another Lazarus is raised from the dead, it, it doesn't start the Pharisees repenting. Instead, that's where they start the plot to kill Jesus. Jesus caps off his teaching with Scripture because it is the way that we fight against the false God of money and find our true satisfaction in Christ. The Pharisees, the rich man here, they knew the Scriptures. They knew the external ways of living. But they didn't apply that to the area 
of finances. They were investing their worldly in, they were investing in their worldly existence rather than in a heavenly one. And again, you'll notice I'm I'm not passing the plate here. This this church is incredibly generous. But I'm going to ask you to think about where you put your money to work. Because we will happily spend thousands on educating ourselves in some general subject. But ask yourselves, how are we investing in knowing God? Could your family holiday be spent visiting one of our mission families next year? Have you thought about how much is reasonable to give to missions or to poverty relief or or whatever it is? Now hear me when I say this, however you need to respond to your wealth and and your situation in in a practical manner, that's between you and the Lord. And there is Christian freedom in how you go about that. But what is clear is that Jesus wants us to be conformed to Scripture so that we don't stray after this false god of money. Think about your bank card. How drawn to it is your heart. Because Jesus places two paths before us this morning and shouts for us to come and to follow him to find meaning and satisfaction in him, to invest in a relationship with God and not in our own capacity, to depend upon him and not ourselves. And that's not to rob us of fun or deprive us of opportunities, but so that we aren't distracted from the path to life. C.S. Lewis famously said that we are far too easily pleased. We settle for making mud pies in a slum because we don't know what is meant by a holiday by the sea. Our culture presents the false god of money to us in almost every avenue. But Jesus gives us a different way, a way of rejecting the narrative and rejoicing in what we were made for. So we need to fix our eyes upon him We need to fill our hearts to the brim with Christ so there is simply no room for the distractions of this world. We need to be carried on the wave of the praise of his people. We need to come together and point one another to Christ, holding him up as glorious, seeing him as our treasure. Brothers and sisters, whatever pool your bank card has on your heart. I pray that the Lord would overwhelm you with his grace so that you would find true satisfaction in Christ and in Christ alone. We're going to try and take the first steps to that as the, as the band come back up and we join our voices to the heavenly host and sing so that we are caught up together in the worth of our God above all else. And so family, stand with me and sing with me as we reject the lies of the world and instead look to Christ for our satisfaction. So let's come, let's raise a joyful noise to the praise and the worth of our great God. Let's stand and sing, my worth is not in what I own.